Hello, welcome to the HR Champions Podcast. My name is Phil Scott, and I bring to you exceptional leaders from the HR industry. In this podcast, we'll be discussing their careers to date, their passion for HR, and the challenges they have faced along the way. I hope you enjoy listening. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Gemma Malouish, Director of Human Resources at Rainbow Children's Trust uh, Charity Trust, and they have been ranked in the top 100 Sunday Times best companies to work for for the last nine years running, which is an extremely impressive feat. Gemma, I'm just going to pass over to you. Please give the listeners a brief overview and introduction to who you are. Thanks, Bill. Hi, I'm Gemma. Um, I'm the director of HR at Rainbow Trust Children's Charity. Um, I'm also a mum of two boys, so I've got a bit of a juggling act to do. So I've got two little ones, a five and an eight-year-old. I absolutely love working, but I also love sport, love going on holiday. More importantly, I love the sunshine. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a um, jack of all trades in terms of work. So I, I work to live and I live to work. I work at Rainbow Trust Children's Charity. I have been there for the last four and a half years as the director of HR. And what we do at Rainbow Trust is support families who have a child with a life-threatening or terminal illness. And we basically uh, make the most out of their time together. So the family support workers provide expert, practical, emotional and practical support for as long as they need it. So we basically tailor the support to the families. Um, Rainbow Trust is a national charity, 4.3 million charity. As Phil said earlier, yet we've undergone a number of uh, difficulties as many organisations have gone through in the last year and my role is to steer the ship of the people I suppose to make sure that the amazing staff are well supported making sure that uh, we develop them making sure that we're listening to them and uh, leading the strategy for the people. So we'll start at the beginning how did you first get into HR? Well I kind of fell into HR and I think probably quite a few HR professionals get into HR that way. So I did my undergraduate sports degree at Sheffield Hallam University because pretty much at school, all I could do was sport. So I thought, what do I do? I'll go into university to do a sports degree. And when I was there, I enjoyed the management side and the business side. And I kind of fell out of sport because I got into the, uh, the lifestyle of university. And after uni, I went traveling. And while I was traveling, I was coming up to the end of my 18 months, because actually I went away for 18 months. I did the more, more than the year. And my mum said, you need to think about what you're going to do when you get home. Why don't you apply for the NHS graduate training scheme? And I was like, oh, what's that? You know, I don't know anything about it. So I Googled it in a Thailand internet cafe and applied for it. And here I am today. You know, it was a great opportunity. I got on the scheme. I remember doing a, a maths test sitting in a, an internet cafe. No, not very good at numbers, better with people. And after numerous assessment centres and tests and everything else when I got home, I was really, really fortunate to have been one of the, on the graduate training scheme. So that's how I got into HR. And then from HR, I went into the NHS. So the NHS was where I pretty much developed my career in HR. I was in the NHS since 2008 and then joined a Rainbow Trust in 2016. So quite a long time working my uh, way up the ladder, I suppose, in the NHS and now, latterly, in the charity sector. So, yeah, that's how I got into HR. And what is it you like about working in HR? 
the variety, the challenge, uh, working with people, you never know what you're going to get from one day to the next. Specifically, I enjoy develop the development side. So I enjoy finding the problem and actually working with the people to get to a positive outcome, if that makes sense. So I think often with HR, you, you get the negatives, but actually I like the positive side. I like the engagement, the culture, the development, um, and actually the developing of the organisation, the people. That's the bits I enjoy. I mean, your career's taken, uh, you know, steady progression. What's been the secret to that progression? You know, I'm guessing you don't just sort of sit there and people give you promotional opportunities uh, if you're plodding away. What, what is it that you think sort of stood you, stood you in good stead? I think there's not really any secret. It's just down to hard work. I think hard work, loving what you do. I really, really enjoy HR. I love work and I'm highly competitive. So I think if you actually know where you want to go and are willing to put the hours in and work hard at it and just keep just being resilient and keep going, eventually you get to where you need to be. But also I think being, um, it's gonna sound a bit bad, I was gonna say being good at what you do, but actually I mean like building the credibility through the organization that you're working in. And then obviously there's an element of word of mouth and there's an element of actually, if you do what you say you're going to do, then you've got things to, to work off going forward so you can develop your career that way. Has there been any standout achievements that you, that you can think about? There's two quite different. So actually being um, given the opportunity to be on the NHS graduate scheme was actually one of the biggest achievements of my career. It was It's highly um, competitive and I couldn't believe I got the place. And without getting that place, I would not be where I am today. And then the other one is actually getting the current job that I've got now. So when I applied for the director of HR at Rainbow Trust, I was in the NHS, but I'd already also just had maternity leave. So my confidence wasn't quite where it is when you've had a break from work and you come back. You're not, you're not really in, in the nitty gritty of it. So when I, when I was offered that job and this job that I've got now, I was over the moon. So I think those are probably the uh, two achievements I can think of. What's your sort of view? With HR, you know, do you sort of stick to the core responsibilities or do you try and sort of get out into, into the operations on a wider scale? I'd definitely get out. <laughs> I couldn't stick to the, uh, the nitty-gritty of the job responsibilities. Obviously, you've got to stick to basics to an element, but in, in my role now, I, I want to strive for more. You need to understand what's going on operationally to be able to actually influence any change, any direction. So now I'm fully part of the wider um, operational discussions, part of senior leadership team. And I've got a great team that is able to stick to the job responsibilities and I can then go off and look at uh, um, the wider aspects. So I'm going to ask you about the Sunday Times uh, ranking. Nine years running is uh, extremely impressive. And also I think you've got a two-star accreditation. So for those that don't know what a two-star accreditation is, just tell us a little bit about, about that. Okay, so um, the Sunday Times and Best Companies is basically um, an engagement survey. And the accreditation is a Best Companies accreditation. So they provide accreditation levels for um, outstanding levels of engagement, your engagement levels. So you can be engaged or you can be outstanding, have an outstanding level of engagement or you can exceed level engagement. So there's three stars. A two-star accreditation is outstanding levels of engagement. So we are absolutely thrilled 
to have been awarded that. And actually we have been informed that we've been awarded it again this year. So it's two years on, on the trot, which is fab fabulous, especially considering the difficult year we've just had. So we we're quite surprised, but also over the moon that we've been awarded that again. The Sunday Times top 100 not-for-profit organizations to work for is the list that um, is, is put in the Sunday Times. They, they do all sorts of different surveys. And it's basically a survey that goes out to all your staff and it's their views. So you can't influence it. You, there is a huge organizational questionnaire that you have to complete as well, but the results come from the staff. So we've been doing that ever since I've worked there and it's just say like nine years. It's the 10th year this year. So fingers crossed we're on the list, but we don't know yet. It hasn't been um, publicized yet, so we don't know. So yeah, and the last couple of years, we've even improved position to the top 50. The last two years, we've been top 50 in, in the not-for-profit organizations to work for, which is just amazing. Um, we're really proud of it as an organization. And, and, and that's mainly on the sort of staff engagement, I think, isn't it? It's, um... it's all staff engagement, yeah. So they look at a number of factors. They look at well-being, fair deal, leadership, management, um, personal growth, um, team. Uh, there's eight factors. I can't quite remember all the factors now, but there's eight different factors they look at. But ultimately, it's about levels of engagement. So to have a two-star accreditation for outstanding levels of engagement is amazing. And to be on the list is fantastic. So we just hope that we're on it again. And, and our, response, our response rate for that engagement levels are always really, really high. So last year or this year that we've just done, it was 93%. Um, and that's um, purely because we do what we say we're going to do. So when we've got the results, we report on the results. We, we have a focus on results and those results inform our people strategy. So it isn't, I think some organisations you do it and then actually what are you going to do with the information? We really use that information. Um, so yeah, 93%, which is great. I always try and beat the last year's response rate, the year before 92, and this year's 93. So next year I'll be aiming for 100%. Um, How have you engaged staff differently then in, in lockdown? Yeah, we have. I mean, Rainbow Trust is a dispersed organisation anyway. So we have care teams across the country in the northwest, northeast, southwest, Essex, Southampton, and London and southeast. So, so we've got six different care teams already. So the way that we always engage with staff is, is different to uh, an office-based organisation. So we have to um, communicate with people in different um, environments. But during lockdown, it actually meant that communication was ramped up hugely um, but in the way that we communicate because we always have to communicate in a way that meets all the care teams who are working remotely that actually all of us in a remote organization was in the same sort of style so we had to do remote communication um, but when I, what I mean by ramped up is that a huge amount more engagement was done so we um, do senior leadership team monthly briefings we continued with those but what we then did is also had all employee zoom calls once a month and that was about sharing information but it was also more check-ins we did some games on it it was just making sure that people were okay generally our chief exec started coffee mornings really informal coffee mornings zoom coffee mornings just drop in or, or don't and it's a case of asking any questions you've got or just saying hello we in HR did a similar thing where we did HR dropping sessions. We're still doing all of these things now. Um, and we do regular communication. So as soon as there was a government announcement, 
we would try and communicate something on the back of it, even if it was there's nothing further to add and just keeping keeping the engagement up. And that's the communication side. But I also a couple of years ago set up a well-being group and we call it Feel Good. And that's um, representative across the whole organisation. So it's not just HR led because that would be no use because that would be just me feeding in my ideas. But everyone uh, as part of the organisation is voluntary. So it's people that have got passion for it. And we um, create material on a monthly basis, different themes of feel good, of well-being. And we, what we did over the lockdown period was actually we, we did the same information, but we recreated it to make sure it's really relevant for those people that are potentially really struggling with isolation, struggling with changes of roles, struggling with just generally being locked in with or without family, you know, it's depending on your circumstances. And we focus it for four different areas. So it's body, mind, team, and um, body, mind, team, and work, the four themes. And we always have a challenge, a feel good event, and some information and a feel good Friday. So it's fun and it hopefully brings people together. Um, but it also aims to really provide useful well-being information. So we provided top, top 10 tips on working in a remote environment, working in a different environment, mental health awareness. So we did a huge amount of work on the well-being and communication, which helps obviously then with engagement, knowing that you, you cared about and listened to. And also when we came, we're coming out of the first lockdown when we were able to go back into the offices and start to do more face to face before we were locked in again, we did another survey, but it was actually about the health and safety aspects. You know, how are you actually feeling about maybe going into family homes or going back into the office because we you haven't been allowed to do it, you know, and people are anxious actually about it. And what can we do to help alleviate that? You know, put, and we did all the health and safety one way systems in. But I introduced some further questions specifically about well-being, not just about the logistics, but actually how are you feeling? And anybody that answered anything remotely concerning regarding their anxiety levels, I we individually followed up. So people are really listened to, heard, and adapt, you know, things are adapted for them if necessary. And that's really what we've done to adapt, you know, our engagement levels, our communication and things like that. How is COVID affected the organisation over the last 12 months? Hugely. So in the last 12 months, obviously, with what we do is family support. They, our family support workers weren't able to go into uh, families' homes. Just it wasn't, it wasn't allowed. So overnight, overnight, they've had to adapt the way that they support the families and the children. You know, family support workers go in a role thinking they're going out to face-to-face -face support. That's why they become family support workers they become that that person that becomes a support to that family and overnight they having to now sit behind a computer screen it's not what they go into the role for but they were amazing in how they adapted to things and and what they did in terms of the last 12 months of becoming the virtual support to children creating activity packs they even went and changed the support and were delivering breast milk to neonatal support workers collecting prescriptions you name it they did it. If the family needed it, they did it. If it was, you know, within the restrictions. Over the last 12 months, you know, obviously income dropped. Huge issue with the charity. You know, we, we couldn't do events. We couldn't do any sort of face-to-face -face fundraising, which is a majority of our income. So our fundraising teams had to also adapt 
we went, you know, had emergency appeals, the fundraising teams went virtual. So we did a 280,000 steps challenge, did a virtual auction, you know, so they, they did an, ama an amazing job, everyone just to adapt in those, in those 12 months and they're still, and they're still adapting, you know, we're not out of it, we're still in it. I mean, you get the glimpse where they can go back and do a bit more and then we get pulled back again. But in that first lockdown, we've learned a lot. So we're now in a position where we can adapt to the support and adapt the services that we provide quite quite easily. And have you had to restructure the organisation at all? Yeah, unfortunately we did. So as I said, because our income is pretty much led by fundraising, we have to have a, a restructure. Uh, it wasn't what we wanted to do. It led to a 17% reduction, actually. So it's quite a quite significant restructure. In one weekend alone, we lost about £500,000. And we just needed to make sure that the organisation was sustainable. So it's a really an emotional and difficult time for everybody. You know, we lost some really good colleagues, really sad time, impacted on morale, impacted on the organisation that we are. But it had to be done. And the way that we did it was in the way that we always do things at Rainbow Trust in an honest and open, transparent way. I will say it's probably one of the hardest restructures I've ever done. And I've done a lot, huge scale restructures. This wasn't such a huge scale restructure, but emotionally, it was probably one of the most difficult ones because of the situation, I suppose, and because of the control aspect. You know, we didn't choose. It wasn't something that we would have chosen to do. It was something that because of the environment that we're in, we had to do. And it was the first one I've ever had to do virtually. So having to have these really difficult conversations with people, that potentially people may be losing their roles over Zoom. It, it, you don't get the element of personal you know, the human nature aspect of it. It's really difficult, um, but we did, um, but we're out of the other end. We look forward to the future and hopefully a really positive future. So, How has it affected morale then? Yeah, I mean, it obviously has impacted morale. You know, we, we, as I say that, we did that in March, no, August, sorry, the, it started, we started it in March, August. So we've, we've had a few months since, but, you know, as I said, people lost friends, people lost colleagues throughout it. So morale was impacted. And at the same time, alongside that, people were in a lockdown situation. So already emotions were running high and people were doing jobs that they weren't really employed to do. Jobs changed quite quickly overnight. But what we try and do is really focus on why we're here. We try and remind staff, you know, yes, it's difficult, but why are we working for Rainbow Trust? And that's for the families that we support. That's great on paper, you know, but when you're going through it in reality, the impact is that this is affecting those people as human beings and their family and, and their livelihoods potentially. Um, and what we have to do is try and help support, improve that morale. And actually we are in a better, a much better place now, but that's what happens with time and change management. You go through the curve. And actually since we've gone through the restructure, that's when we've done the new Sunday time survey. And since then, we've known we've got a two-star accreditation. So actually, the results are showing that we've still got outstanding levels of engagement, which is amazing. So I'm going to bring it on to you a little bit. So one of the questions I like to ask, give me three people who've been most influential to you. I'm going to go quite cliched at the beginning, a bit girly, but I'm going to save my mum. <laughs> so my mum has always taught me to believe in myself. As I said right at the beginning, I was into sport, you know. What was your sport? Netball. So I played, well, actually, to be honest, I did um, athletics as well. I did whatever sport I did, I could, I was one of those children that could just do it. I was quite yeah. one of those 
oh, she's good at all sports kind of person. But I played netball at quite a high level. I played for Yorkshire, like West Yorkshire. But when it came to academic side, didn't come quite as easily. I had to really work hard. Um, and my mum always said, just believe in yourself. You'll get there, believe in yourself. And, and she always said, if you want something enough, and if it's the right thing for you, you will get it if you've tried hard enough. And that's how we were brought up. And, and it really stood me in the way that I do things now. If something doesn't quite go my way, I think, well, did I, did I really want it? And did I try as hard as I could have? And I think generally, if you think, well, maybe I didn't put enough work in, the answer is, well, you didn't deserve it then. So my mum is, is probably the first person. The second one is a previous manager of mine, really tough, tough manager. But she was really influential to me because she was always the kind of manager that made you kind of have butterflies in your stomach if you, something had gone wrong. And not in a negative way, but in a way the way you just wanted to do a good job for them. And she always reminded me to go back to basics. So don't overcomplicate things. Why are we doing it? What's the purpose? Um, and, I, and again, she was quite influential to me. So I still do that now in, in my career. And if anyone's asking me any questions, I always say, go back to basics, start, start at the beginning. And that's from her. And then my, my last one, I'm going to go back to family and say my husband and my two boys, they, they come as a package. <laughs> <laughs> Can't differentiate. Mm. And that's pretty much because they keep me grounded. They keep me me. They remind me of the importance of being balanced and have some fun with a highly, highly pressured role, which, you know, you, I am in. You can sometimes forget when you get home that it's like, you know, I'm quite bossy. And they're like, you're not at work now, mom. And it's like, sorry. Yeah. You know, so those three, I think those three people, so family and the previous manager. Who do you currently learn from then? What personal development do you? So my current manager and my current team, I'm learning from all the time. And what I mean by team is I've got two teams. So I've got the senior leadership team, who is like my, my peers. And then I've got my HR team. And I'm learning from all of them in different ways. So my current manager is just beyond clever. You know, one of these people that's just really clever. So I'm learning great business head, learning the business side of things from that, from her. Um, and the senior leadership are just really good at what they do. They're like inspiring. And then my team, I learn from looking at things from a different perspective so I bounce ideas off them all the time so we're small you know this I've only got a small team we're a relatively small organization so we have to kind of support each other and learn from each other but I'm also part of an external network of HR directors who which are really really important because it gives you that external perspective of what's going on outside of your little bubble and we support each other I'd say so we we offer a lot of I get a lot of external support from from them as well have you experienced any setbacks? And if so, how did you overcome them? I don't know whether you've got this from me yet, but I'm quite a control freak and a little bit of a planner. <laughs> so I suppose one of my setbacks was when I first became head of HR at the in one of the NHS trusts that I worked in. And I had a plan. I was one of these people where I went in and I had a five-year plan that I wanted to be an HR director in five years. I had to be an HR, you know, and it's one of these things where it's like, and at the same time, I was at the age where I'd just got married. I wanted children. So they were conflicting in terms of timescales. And, and I remember that, I, you know, I became pregnant. I was very happy. It was all planned, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember saying to my manager, crying, I'm pregnant. And now it's ruined my five-year plan. <laughs> and she was just like, what are you talking about? That's great news. But um, when I say it's a setback, it was a setback mentally. 
Did it become a six-year plan then? At that point? It became a ten-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> I had two kids in between. But the first one, it was just like, but how can I get where I need to get to when I'm not going to be at work? She was like, but this is a new direction. You'll become, you know, you'll be redirecting yourself. And she was brilliant. And that's actually the same manager that I was referring to previously. She was a really good manager. But that was kind of one of, one of my setbacks. It took me actually, and now I can laugh about it, but it, it really did affect me because I was like, I, I can't because how am I going to be able to do both? And she was like, look at the world that we are in. You know, people do both. <laughs> You know, and, and now I'm in a position where, you know, I can be it and I'm an HR director and it's just happened a little bit later because I was fortunate to have two kids, you know. So it's just, yeah, so that was one of them. Have you made any mistakes? And if so, have you got any advice to others so they don't make the same mistake? Well, actually, that is probably one of my biggest mistakes to be <laughs> getting so hung up about a plan that actually it was a ridiculous plan. But it wasn't ridiculous in the way where I think it's good to have a focus and a direction but just to be so rigid, you know, to have more flexibility and to know that actually you can become a better HR professional with, with a wider level of knowledge and skills and experiences to just going down one route. So actually, I would say that that is something that I have learned from. Yeah, I, I understand that one. It's, uh, it's good to have the plan, it's, but the, the time frame can give you clarity, but it can also put pressure that doesn't need to be there exactly that's the additional pressure that you put on yourself that no one else is putting pressure on but you and then you just end up not doing anything particularly very good because you're thinking about the time scales to get there it's like just enjoy it and now I just enjoy what I do without thinking about what is the next what's the next big step what's the next big move just enjoy it for now um give me one common myth about HR that you'd like to debunk oh one one common myth that we're not an admin function <laughs> that actually we can support with the organisational direction. And actually, in all fairness, COVID has massively helped that, I would say, because now we are the go-to people to, to support with huge change and, and, and the need to, to actually move very quickly and being adaptable and versatile. We come into our own, really, in HR. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, everyone I speak to in HR said they've never worked as you know as hard and as long hours because you've had your normal day job and then all the sort of covid stuff that got dumped in you know well, it's becoming experts in everything isn't it very quickly you know you've got a, a a word furlough never even heard of over a year ago and now we're all hr experts in furlough how to manage it how to not manage it <laughs> yeah. and uh, and how to create a safe environment and all sorts of the handbook yeah. to do this that and the other it's uh, yeah it's been uh, been, been tough for, for a lot of people would you have any advice for anyone who's in HR maybe early on in the career that's aspiring to get to to where you are what advice would you give to someone a couple of bits of advice stick up for what you believe in don't lose your moral compass and work hard and I'll go back to basics go back to basics I mean that sort of brings us up to to time there if anyone wants to reach out to you can they and if so what's the best uh, way of doing that yeah i'm on linkedin so that's probably the best way um or i you know I'm, i've got an email address i'm happy to share if you want me to do it here or i don't know how you want me to do yeah i mean i can put it in the uh, podcast yeah that'd be great i'm happy i'm happy for anyone to to contact me if they've got any questions or any needs any support so that's fine fantastic so uh 
Massive thank you to, to Gemma for uh, helping us with the podcast. Um, I hope the listeners have enjoyed it and stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you, Gemma. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by HR Recruit, part of Exec Recruit Group. We are a leading independent recruitment company and we specialise in recruiting leadership roles for ambitious businesses. Exec Recruit Group consists of a number of specialist brands and these brands cover the fields of human resources, finance directors, accountancy, marketing, technology and executive and C-suite positions. If you are looking to add to your leadership team or you are looking for a position for yourself, then we would love to hear from you. For more information, please visit execrecruitgroup.com.